Welcome to Follow Your Kind Podcast, a show where we explore the meaning of kindness and how we can express it in our daily lives. My name is Christina and I'm your host. All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Follow Your Kind Podcast. And today we have another episode and I'm very excited to introduce to you one of my new friends, uh, Lori Boyd, who I met at the last uh, Plant-Based Prevention of Disease conference um, that I went to. And uh, yeah, with that, I give you Lori. Thank you so much for joining me today. Hi, Lori. Thank you, Tina. I'm so excited to be here and I appreciate you asking me. And yeah, the Peapod Conference, the Plant-Based Prevention of Disease Conference is one of the best things that's ever happened to me. I found that in 2015, and that was the second year that it was in existence, and I have been every year since, and it's one of the most wonderful things to experience. But uh, a little bit about my background, this is my 40th year of nursing, and I've always been a hospital nurse, and I've worked med surge, and, and I worked in the recovery room, and I worked in an ICU, and <clears throat> pardon me, I worked in a cardiovascular recovery unit, which is where you recover patients who've had open heart surgery. So I've seen a lot of really sick people, and I've seen a lot of what happens when people don't take care of themselves. I've seen a lot of the technology that we have to help people um, to treat people. It doesn't fix things though. And that's, that's the problem. So nine years ago, I was asked to start the Heart Resource Center in Spartanburg, Spartanburg Medical Center. And they said, go out and prevent heart disease. And I thought, okay, how no do pressure. I do that with just one person? And that's, that's a, a tall order. And they didn't really understand what they were asking for. What they had in mind was a secondary prevention. They didn't even really understand primary prevention. And at that time, I didn't understand it completely, but I knew the difference between primary and secondary prevention. So it didn't take long for me to realize that food is the basis of health and or disease. You, either way you go with your food, you're going to make yourself better or you're going to make yourself worse. So the first thing I did was say, okay, I need a dietitian to help me with this. And so in this Heart Resource Center, we don't have any inpatient input at all. We, we don't see inpatients. We are completely community-based and we love it because it gets us out into the community. We get to do presentations to different We do some screenings occasionally, but it's that one-to-one -one contact that we have with people where we can talk to them about plant-based nutrition and how it can change their lives. Now, some people ha are more accepting and open to that message than others, <laughs> but we feel an obligation to tell them that information. So it's just something that we are very passionate about. The dietitian that I work with is half my age and she is the most compassionate, wonderful woman. And it's just a blessing to come and do this work every day. So we feel very, very fortunate to do that. But uh, other than the Peapod, when I found out about Peapod, I had already started doing some research. When I was in graduate school in, I graduated in 09 with my master's degree and Somehow, one of my 
classmates told me about the China study. Oh, you need to read this book. Mm-hmm. So that's really where I began on this journey was reading that book and finding the science that Dr. T. Colin Campbell had put together and, and the whole research team had put together in this massive epidemiological study to show the the protein in dairy products and the harm that it does and specifically in relation to cancer. So that really got me started on the path to wanting to learn more because that was information I'd never heard before. How could this be? How could our government be funding the dairy industry when this is bad for us? Mm -hmm. So it really made me, um, it just made me curious and want to learn more. And then that led me to Dr. Caldwell Esselstyn and his Prevent and Reverse Heart Disease book, which absolutely blew my mind. Have you read that one? Yes, I'm looking at it right now on my bookshelf. Man, when I saw those images from the cath lab and those arteries opening without stents, without drugs, with plants, it just rocked my world. And I said, okay, this is something that we can get behind. We need to be telling, we need to shout this from the rooftops. Everybody needs to hear this message. So that's how that, I felt to you. I, I saw this in the images uh, that the, the you described. I saw them first when I was taking the plant-based um, certification with, with eCornell, the Dr. T. Colin Campbell uh, Center for the Nutrition Studies. Yes. And it was part yes, of the I have that there. one too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it was, it's just so striking to see the imagery, how the arthritis can actually open up. And I, I just, I, was, I, did, I could never, I could not fathom that. It's it's insane. And why don't we know this? And why don't why aren't doctors telling their patients this? And then Dr. Barnard and his work with diabetes, and of course, you know, the pioneers, Dr. Ornish and Dr. Pritikin and all mm-hmm. of these doctors and Dr. Greger with his nutritionfacts.org. So much information out there and so few people are aware of it. And so I you know, it just has become a, a mission to share this information. And, uh, you know, as I said, this, I've gotten this little uh, saying in my mind, be the flashlight, don't be the hammer. And that that to me says everything because I am guilty of, of, I'm just such a zealot with this. I want people to know this because I know it can help them. And I have to step back and realize that people are coming from different places in their lives. That is the challenge for me to step back and try to wait until somebody is ready to hear information. I can very but, much relate. I pretty much have to tie my own hands behind my back. <laughs> it's sometimes. so hard. You just, you hard just, you do. So you just want to shout from, you want to <laughs> shout from the rooftops. Listen to this. Look what I learned. Look at this. This is real. This is true. This is science. It's I know, real. But I can help. <laughs> I know me too. <laughs> And then once you start learning more and more about the environment and animal welfare, and I I know that, you know, people are sometimes confused about the difference between a vegan lifestyle and a plant-based lifestyle. And, you know, I don't refer to myself as vegan. I refer to myself as plant-based if somebody asks me, because it's not, I, I didn't start this for the ethical side of it. Now, as I've gone along, I absolutely see more and more because the, the conditions that the animals are raised in is horrible and it's, they're not sanitary and there's lots of disease, but the animals suffer. 
But my primary interest in this started with improving my own health. I didn't even know I was in metabolic syndrome when I started this job. I didn't know what metabolic syndrome was. I had never heard of it in mm. 2009. But, you know, once I figured out, oh, okay, well, you need to you need to take care of this. You need to make things better. So that was, you know, I was the 51 at that time, 50, 51. And my body was starting to change in not good ways. For, and, for, you know, chronic disease is starting to happen. Yeah. For those who are listening, Sorry. could you explain what metabolic, metabolic syndrome is in case people are So metabolic, yeah, sorry. Metabolic syndrome is a cluster of disease states. So it's, um, obesity, central obesity with an en enlarged waist for women that would be over 35 inches, um, for men over 40 inches. Some For Asians, that number is lower because they just don't tolerate that central obesity as well. For Asian women, it's 32 inches, and I think for men, 37, but I'm not positive about that. But at any rate, ob central obesity, abnormal lipids, which is a, a low HDL, the healthy cholesterol is too low, the triglycerides are too high, the blood sugar is too high, the blood pressure is too high. So those five things, if any three of those are present, then that's a diagnosis of metabolic syndrome. Or if people are taking medication for any of those three, that's a, diagn a diagnosis of metabolic syndrome. Mm -hmm. And metabolic syndrome greatly increases your risk for heart disease. So that's why diabetes is such a huge factor for heart disease. And, you know, we have a diabetes epidemic in our country right now and really worldwide. Um, but so what were we talking about before the, the metabolic syndrome? I'm sorry. I'm oh, I was in metabolic no. syndrome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, you were so I, I realized I was in metabolic syndrome and decided I needed to take action to reverse that. And, you know, reversing that was with cutting back on my calories and increasing my exercise. But I wasn't really seeing, I didn't really see the results of getting my numbers back in line until I started cutting out the meat and the dairy. And that's when I noticed the big changes. And I'm con still continuing to kind of tweak things and cutting cutting back on oil as well. You know, I still have, yeah, five or 10 pounds. Who doesn't have that five or 10 pounds they'd like to lose? <laughs> and, you know, I need to keep increasing my exercise because I'm not up to where I should be. And I know what I need to do. And I'm preaching this message. So I have to set a good example. Mm -hmm. And that's one thing that bothers me sometimes about healthcare providers is they're preaching to their patients, but they're not practicing that. And I just don't think that's fair. So I wanted to, to set an example and, and live what I'm preaching. Yeah. If I may ask a question, reflecting back on your story, and thank you so much for sharing that. I'm, I'm curious to, to know if you have an answer to what do you think made you open to the information about the China study and everything else that you discovered as a part of it? Because, I mean, everybody, we have access to internet, to libraries. I mean, you can order the book on Amazon and it's going to be there tomorrow. But not everybody has read the, the book, and I'm sure more people than have have been offered a resource like that. What do you think made you open to this to receiving this information? I think I was just fascinated by the science, and then I was angry that <laughs> that this was happening. 
because this is preventable. Mm-hmm. These are these are diseases that we can prevent and we don't need to to make people suffer with chemotherapy and radiation and amputations and opening their chest and yes, yes. sometimes those things may be necessary. But if 80% of heart disease is preventable and the vast majority of type 2 diabetes is preventable, we need to help people with that. We need to give them the tools that they can use and not just send them home with a prescription for another drug that's going to interact with their last drug they received. Yeah, absolutely. Amen to that. What do you say to providers or to, uh, to people who say, well, patients don't want to hear that. They just want a quick fix. They're not going to follow the diet anyways. Um, they, they just want a drug. What do you say to that? I, I hear Dr. Esselstyn's words echoing in, in my head. We are obligated ethically to give people the latest science and to give them the choice. One of the family medicine residents I met a couple years ago, I was at a little, um, I had a little display and I had all of my plant-based information out there and she came by and she was so excited because she didn't think anybody in Spartanburg, South Carolina would be (laughs) plant-based. So she and I have kept in touch and she did a a resident's lunch and learn yesterday about plant-based nutrition and that was her focus. She said, I decided to hammer them with the message although we want to be a flashlight, right. but she decided to hammer them with the message that it is unethical to not give this information to your patients. And if you don't know this information, you need to educate yourself about this. And there were 35 residents in that room and they were engaged and attentive and it was the most uplifting, wonderful thing to happen. So I, I hope to see good things. And she's got a lot of great ideas on ways that the residents can really get engaged aged with the community and try to improve community health. This, this is really great. Who was it that said, was it Dr. Kim Williams who said there are two types of cardiologists, the, the ones who are plane-based and the ones who didn't read the data? <laughs> exactly, exactly. And that's a pretty strong statement. And uh, we don't have a lot of plant-based positions here. We, I do have a few that are mostly plant-based, but I don't have... I don't have a lot of support on that. I'm still seeking them out and and trying to make connections with them and trying to give them whatever resources they need to help educate their patients. And they're grateful for that. Yeah. But this movement is is growing. There's no question about it. It is absolutely growing and we hear stories all the time from people that we will do a smoothie demo or we'll do we'll do a presentation on cholesterol or something and people will come back to us and say you know I tried that plant-based and it worked for me and I'm still doing it and it just and I've lost weight and I feel better and I sleep better and I'm off my meds and these are just connections that we make along the way but you have to have that relationship piece you've got to be able to talk to people one-on-one and tell your story yeah, this is this is really important. Um, this is one of the things that I wrote down from the the, the notes you were uh, telling me about how you work with your patients and the importance of the connection and the, the personal impact that the time that 
most of the providers don't have today to spend with a patient. And that probably also plays into the fact that they just want to prescribe drugs and instead of actually getting to the root of the, of the issue and saying how we can, and seeing how we can work with preventative measures like plant-based nutrition to reverse and prevent disease. Yeah, that that uh, presentation that the resident physician did yesterday gave me so much hope because this is the new generation of physicians coming and they admitted they have not received any nutrition education in medical school. One of them said, as an example, I had four hours in one semester for nutrition out of 48 hours that I took that semester and that was all I received in the entire medical education. And another resident said, I didn't receive any. So they're, you know, they're teaching them, as they said, we're learning about scurvy. Well, we don't need to know about that. We need to be looking forward and looking to plants for the future. So I, I think that there's a lot of interest there and they haven't been taught and they just need that education. And some of them are really hungry for it. Yeah. No, I agree. I, I, I see a lot of interest as well. And, um, working in the healthcare field now, just uh, being able to, to meet even those either providers or just, you know, the, the residents or people in the healthcare industry, even those who are not fully on board themselves, at least they are more open to admitting that the, the data is, cannot be disputed, that the research, there is plenty of research and evidence that shows that the plant-based, most plant-based diet is the most optimal diet for any disease, really, for all of the prevention of the chronic disease, the cardiac, the diabetes and cancer treatment and prevention, all of it. And it's, it's really, yeah. there is a lot of hope in that. Um, uh, we have, um, uh, a, a doctor that I work with closely um, uh, just came back from the ACLM conference and just the, oh, yeah. the energy that she brought with her coming back from the conference and the, and the amount of uh, attention and the work that is currently getting poured into plant-based um, anything related in, as it relates to healthcare is really, really inspiring and gives a lot of hope for sure. Yeah, there's, there is a lot of movement in the plant-based direction, and there's a lot of conversation about it, and people are, I, I believe providers are becoming more open to it. So one of the questions that came up yesterday among the residents, well, I'm not plant-based, how can I talk to my patients about that? And one of them said, I don't smoke, but I talk to my patients about quitting smoking. She huh. said, there's no difference. You just need to educate yourself about it, and then you can talk about it. Right. That's such a good point. And again, I mean, today there is, I mean, there's so many things that you can do. There is the eCornell plant-based nutrition certification right there available to you. And there are plenty of other courses that are relatively easy to seek out. And I mean, really, if, if there is not enough time for that, there, there are just books or, you know, short overviews, or there's always a reference to a local plant-based registered dietitian that can be made. Right. And one of my favorite things to refer people to, people with limited time, sign up for Dr. Greger's videos. Just go on nutritionfacts.org and sign up to receive his newsletter and his videos. You can get a great education in three to five minutes a day. That's right. Uh, he, he, he is one of my biggest heroes, and I look forward to meeting him at some point in the future. 
Yes, I, I actually had the privilege of meeting him. One of my first conferences that I went was Remedy Food Atlanta in uh, 2016, in November 2016. Um, so I, I had a privilege to have him sign How Not to Die books that I still ha- have oh. on my bookshelf. And I have a picture with him. <laughs> oh, lucky. I have a picture with Dr. Esselstyn and with Dr. Campbell. Well, see, I, I don't have Dr. Esselstyn, <laughs> so maybe we can exchange the photos. <laughs> We'll share. We'll share. We'll crop and and cut and paste to right. make us look better. Yeah, <laughs> to put us in those pictures with all those famous men. I, I they're just they're they're my heroes. They're such heroes to me because their mission is not to sell a supplement or a device. Their mission is because they have a passion for helping people to go spread the word about plant based nutrition. No, absolutely. I think what I really appreciate about Dr. Tickle and Campbell's message that stood out for me several times from the, the presentations that I heard him give was the way that he speaks speaks about uh, this. He doesn't speak about, well, you know, as you said, he's not selling anything or he's not promoting a vegan diet. He's not really promoting a diet at all, really. I think what's what stands out to me specifically is that just his desire to put the light to the truth because he's really a scientist. I mean, he didn't come into it as, as a right. doctor. He was a veterinarian and who, he grew up on the farm himself. But once he, after doing all the research related to the China study and, and uh, uh, getting all the information together and looking at the outcomes, he, his, his main goal as he presents it to be is just to spread the truth about the, the findings that, that he had. And I don't know, I think that's definitely speaks volume and the, the person of, of that integrity that doesn't seem to have any conflicting interests as he pursues his right. goal is pretty inspiring. And he's been ostracized for that. Mm-hmm. He, he has suffered for his, his desire to get that information out there, but he continues. He doesn't let that stop him. And I just think it's so ironic that he and Dr. Esselstyn both grew up on dairy farms. I know. Uh, it's just so ironic. And how they found their way to each other. There's there. I have to believe that, that there's a plan for all of this coming to fruition. There has uh, to be. I, I don't There has to be. And, you know, once we start looking at the environmental impact of the current food supply, it's devastating to the planet. And we really can't continue on in this way. And if people would just, if everybody would do one meatless meal a week, it would have a huge impact, a huge impact on the environment. Yeah. Something else. That's hard. Mm -hmm. Yeah, something else that came to my mind as you were speaking about how both Dr. Esselstyn and Dr. Campbell grew up on the farm was the, the John Robbins. I mean, his father was the founder of the Baskin Robbins. And then you have John Robbins writing the Diet for the New America, the revolutionary book that changed so many people's minds about the, the plant-based nutrition from many different perspectives, including the environmental portion as them very much agreeing with you. I had forgotten about the Baskin Robbins connection. I know. <laughs> <laughs> it was I couldn't I believe it. They the have first time I read options. They do. Yes, they do. Oh, that's good to know. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, I want to talk about your work now. Um, I know this was one of the 
things that really sparked my interest about talking to you uh, first. And I remember your comments and the questions that you asked at the Peapod conference to one of the speakers uh, on the panel, uh, and also mentioning the great work and the progress that you were able to achieve with uh, spreading more awareness and providing more plan-based options at your institution. So could you speak a little bit more about that and how that came into fruition? Yes. So at this point, I don't even remember what our first contact with our food service director, our food service director, we have Morrison provides our food service here and our food service director is a very unique man. He's been here for quite a while. He likes it here. He's extremely good at what he does. His staff loves him. He provides excellent service to patients and staff and visitors. But when we started, we uh, have a month, an, an annual event that we do. It's called the Red Shoe Luncheon, and it's in February. It's for Heart Month, and, and we always bring in a health-related speaker, and we talk about nutrition. And one year, we did talk about plant-based nutrition, and I said, okay, we had a caterer last year. This was several years ago. The caterer was supposed to do a plant-based meal for us. It was terrible. The menu was fantastic. The presentation and the actual food was not good. Hmm. So we complained to to our friends in food service here because, you know, my coworker is a dietitian. So we, we are pretty well connected with the in, in-house dietitians. And we were complaining to them about that. And they said, you know, we cater. We can help you with that. And we said, really? For 250 people at a luncheon, you can do that? It won't be too disruptive to your day? Oh, no, we're happy to help you with that. <laughs> so we worked on a menu with him. And they, I mean, they went above and beyond for us. They delivered to us at our site. Usually we have to pick up if we're going off site. We had been working with them on our monthly Heart Matters support group, providing lunches for our ladies there, but that's only 30. When, when we said 250 and they said, yes, we'll be happy to do that for you. And the food was fabulous. And we've used them every year since then. So I think three years now we've, we've used them for that. And then we've had other events that we wanted to do and said, and, and the service, food service director always says, okay, do you want this all plant-based or can we do vegetarian? And we said, well, we'd really like to keep it all plant-based if we could. And he said, sure, no problem. And they love the opportunity to be creative and to, to make food beautiful. And it's always such a gorgeous presentation and the food is delicious and people don't even realize they're not eating meat and dairy. They don't even know it because the food is so tasty and so good. And then we tell them, oh, did you realize that, you know, this is, this is a plant-based meal? Oh, oh. So that's one way that we can get that message across in a much kinder, gentler way than, than being the hammer. That flashlight. The <laughs> Be the flashlight. Just shine the light on this beautiful food. And they're just, it's developing that relationship with them and we we can't imagine our lives without him here I don't know how long he plans to stay here I know that Morrison has tried to move him and he's happy here so you know right now he'll stay but we did not have a relationship like that with the with his predecessor mm -hmm. and so we're so so grateful for this and now we have a chef who is vegan we've had I think she is the fourth chef we've worked with and she's the first female and she's our first vegan chef and 
we just, we love it. We just love being creative with them and just sitting and talking with them about ideas for events and foods. And we'll sit and talk for an hour and a half about planning a menu for an event, just because it's so much fun to be together and talk about this passion that we all have. Oh, this is so great. And just before we get too, too far, uh, just to, to make sure I understand you, when you say we, are you referring to the Heart Resource Center or to the Spartanburg Regional Health System? Yeah, I'm referring to the Heart Resource Center, Heart Terry, Res- the dietitian that I work with and mm-hmm. myself. Yeah. That's great. And, and because our food service director reports to our hospital president, we have you know, he's very aware of what we're doing and very supportive as well. So uh, there is a nephrologist who has recently gotten really on the vegan bandwagon. He wants all of his patients that are in the hospital to have vegan meals. And that's, that's wonderful, but there hasn't been any real education for the patients. And so it has caused, you know, just a little bit of a hiccup. But we're working through all of that and trying to to make these changes so that the patients are satisfied because you know what patient satisfaction scores a lot of the time is based on food. So mm-hmm. there's just a lot of pieces in place here, but we're making such inroads. It's really mind boggling to me when I think of how far we've come with this. And, well, this and so I nice. hope that we're going to continue to pick up steam and just keep going with it. Yeah, no, absolutely. This is so amazing to hear. And what a blessing to have a vegan chef on staff. This is amazing. Oh, it's wonderful. It's wonderful. I want to be like uh, Dr. Ostfeld in Rochester, who shows forks over knives to his patients in the heart center. That's what I'm hoping for one day, showing forks over knives to our patients, helping them to really understand before they leave the hospital, why it's important to change their lifestyle so that they can live the rest of their lives as healthy as possible. Yeah, no, that's that. That is a great goal to have. Yeah, or like Dr. Baxter Montgomery in Texas. Oh, yeah. Have the whole cafeteria where it's whole whole food plant based. Yes, yes, but we have a plant based option in the cafeteria. We have a station set up, and this is relatively new. It started maybe in August, uh, that we always had a meatless Monday. We've had a meatless Monday for a while now, at least a year maybe a little bit longer. I kind of lose track of time, but so we always had that meatless Monday option, but it went so well. That station was so popular Mm -hmm. that they decided, you know what, let's just have a meatless option every day. And it is all plant-based. People don't realize that they think it's, you know, maybe it's vegetarian, but it's all plant-based. Even if it has cheese, it's a vegan cheese, but those options are selling well. So people like the food you know, there are some who are going to always get their burgers and fries and their fried chicken on Wednesday, but there are many people who are interested in food that tastes good and is good for you. Yeah, no, this is, this is so great that I, I love hearing those stories. I had, uh, I had Rebecca Portman uh, from Forward Food on my podcast last week, oh, actually. yeah. Do you, do, you, do you happen to know her? I know, I think she handles Southeast region, but I don't know if she goes as far as South Carolina. I know she's in Georgia. They came to Spartanburg, um, a compass who owns Morrison, they decided to do a chef training here and we were invited, Carrie and I were invited to go because we, we are such good friends with our food service director and they had chefs from North and South Carolina come and do a 
completely plant-based meal. They each had, I think there were three teams and they each had five things they were to prepare. And so they had this little chef's competition and it was so much fun. And I think they learned a lot now, you know, I don't know how many of them will stick with it, but I will tell you that, that our culinary team did really well because they were used to working with these foods and they knew they, that they just knew how, them. but that was so much fun. And they did a presentation on the effects of, food on the environment, animal welfare, and human health, and tied it all together very, very nicely. So they are actually coming in February to do our annual luncheon, and we're excited about that. Oh, that that's really cool. <clears throat> yeah, they did a local event here recently as well uh, for just uh, different um, people who work in the industry of food and beverage in different institutions. And there was a lot of interest from uh, the universities, the Georgia state uh, came and it's, it's just great to hear because some of them were doing presentations about the progress that they were able to achieve. And again, it seems like, especially, especially in the colleges and, and universities where, you know, with the younger population, when, where people are, are asking specifically for more vegan plant-based options. Uh, and, and now the universities, have been able to provide that because of the companies like Forward Food and just their personal interests and, and efforts. It's, it's really great to see that. And that gives me hope for the future of our healthcare system because we can't continue down the path that we're on with people becoming sicker and sicker every year. We just can't continue to do that. The quality of life issue is huge, but the budgetary issue is also a problem. I know. And it just, I mean, it just doesn't make sense. And I hear, you know, the case being made, well, patient satisfaction scores or, well, patients are not going to eat the food, but we don't light up a cigarette after the patient wakes up from a surgery just because the patient has right. a cigarette if they're a smoker. So I think this is very similar. If they're sick with heart disease or if they have a condition that can be cured or improved by nutrition, we don't serve them a burger when they wake up after the surgery. Even if it's a turkey burger. Exactly. And that's, you know, you'll have, you'll have powdered eggs and you'll have turkey bacon and a biscuit the morning after heart surgery. And that, that's just not, that's not the message we need to be sending. That is not. So, and the problem, you know, to me, one of the big problems is that it, just as much as physicians don't receive that nutrition education in school, nurses don't receive much either. And we forget what we've learned all those years ago. And you might learn about the Krebs cycle, but that's not practical information to share with patients. So they don't know how to educate their patients. They're, they're, that, that knowledge base is not there. So what if you, somebody is listening right now and the, the, for, let's say, healthcare professionals, maybe somebody is a nurse already and they're like, okay, well, I'm, I'm down with a message, plant-based nutrition, I hear, but I don't know how to educate myself so I can empower others to do the same thing. What, what would you say in terms of resources or where they should go, how they can get a grasp of, of the basics for themselves and in order to, to, continue, to forward that to the patients as well? Well, I think definitely watching Forks Over Knives, that has been a gateway for so many people to watch that documentary or 
What the Health. What the Health is, has a different focus, I think, because it's really pointed at the healthcare system and the organizations that are supposed to be promoting health. But I, I really like Forks Over Knives. I really liked Plant Pure Nation. So watching some of these videos, there are many, many of them out there eating you alive. Lots of opportunities if you want to watch a video. As far as books, I definitely recommend The China Study. Definitely recommend Dr. Esselstyn's How to Prevent and Reverse Heart Disease. Dr. Greger's How Not to Die. Dr. Barnard's books on reversing diabetes. There are just so many things out there. And if you don't have time, subscribe to nutritionfacts.org and sign up for those daily videos and watch the three to five minute videos. And that searchable database in, in his site is absolutely priceless. You can research any health condition and he probably has a video on it. And what I love about him is that he is a, a researcher. He is a physician, but he is an academic and he studies, he and his team go through all of these studies and pick out the information that you need to know. So you don't have to read the whole study, but you're still getting the flavor of the study. And he, there's always, they're always sourced. So if you want to look at the whole study, you can go in and look at it. But yeah, the main thing, I think, is to make sure that whatever source you're looking at is a reputable source because there are a lot of disreputable people out there. That is very true. And um, I mean, Dr. Greger is one of the people, but a lot of other um, doctors in the plant-based nutrition field talk about that as well, that the best, the best thing that the big food organizations or um, the, the, the large organizations or corporations who try to still sell meat and, and dairy, that their, their best tool right now is not um, argue, arguing against plant-based diet necessarily, but it's simply the confusion kind of like right. they, they had with smoking for a while, does it? Does it not mm -hmm. cause disease? And, and really still, you know, if they went by the book, they, they can show correlation, but they could not show causation that, that smoking really causes lung cancer. But we all kind of can put the two and two together. So I think the same thing right. is happening right now where there is a lot of fog that's been released in terms of con confusing, quote unquote, studies about nutrition. But if you were to follow what you're saying, you know, and, and really checking for credibility of the resources that are being cited, it would become pretty clear that the, the data is there to support the plant-based nutrition as being the optimal for human health. Yes. And you always have to look to see who is paying for the study. Got to follow the money. Follow the because money. Because it's sometimes very subversive. But one other organization that I love, we use a ton of their resources, is PCRM, the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine. This is Dr. Neil Barnard's organization. And we have had the pleasure of having Dr. Jim Loomis come to Spartanburg a couple of times and do um, seminars for us. So we're very, very fortunate in that we've been able to make these connections. And and these, again, these physicians are so generous with their time and so willing to share their knowledge. But PCRM has a wealth of information. And particularly for nurses, they have a nurses network that you can join. There's mm -hmm. Facebook pages. There's so much information out there, but their resources are really, really wonderful. They're very well sourced. They're based in science. It's information. They have all kinds of handouts that you can download and print for free.
Mm-hmm. And don't they have an app, like a phone app for the nurses? I remember them talking about releasing it. I haven't used it personally. I, I'm not a nurse or a clinical, but I, I don't know if maybe you had experience with it. They have a nutrition app, um, and I can't remember the name of it, but they do have a nutrition app that you can just download. Here it is. I have it right here on my phone. It's, I think it's called PCRM. It's PCRM's oh. Nutrition Guide for Clinicians. Oh, great. Yes. And you can go in there and do lots of search there. We have a medical school here. It's called a VCOM. It's, it's a subsidiary of the school that's in Virginia. It's the Edward Via College of Osteopathic Medicine. So the osteopathic students have a bit more holistic approach to medical care than a typical traditional medical school does. And they have a full-time dietitian on staff. And PCRM provided books for them, nutrition guides for the students. And, and I think at no cost, I don't know that for certain, but I know that the students use that guide as part of their curriculum. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah. So those resources, they're, they're there. And the app, again, you know, it's free and you can search it. It's got a ton of information. Hmm. Resources for patients, resources for clinicians. Uh, it has a favorite tab, introductory topics, conditions, so you can look by condition to see what alcoholic and toxic liver disease, for instance, is one that just popped up. Acne, acute otitis media, it, that's just the beginning of the A's, burns, cataracts, celiac disease. It's, it's incredibly complete. This, this sounds like a great resource. In terms of opportunities um, in, in healthcare, where do you think they're the biggest openings for improvement? Where, where do you think those lie within the healthcare? Do you think it's, it, it's in education of our new generations of doctors and healthcare practitioners, or do you think it's the food and bath part of the hospital, or it's simply the, the awareness or maybe the follow-up where you've been in this, you've been a nurse for 40 years. Where do you think our biggest opportunities lie today? Well, I, I think it depends on, who who you're looking at for a hospital sustainability that's different than patient health unfortunately um you know we have to rely on reimbursements and if we if people aren't in the hospital then of course the hospital doesn't make any money but our goal in the heart resource center is to prevent disease. Now, of course, we're not going to prevent all diseases. Even with the best nutrition, you're not going to prevent all diseases. And and we know that. But we just want to give people the best chance to be as healthy as possible for as long as possible. So I think education of, of practitioners is a big place to start. But I'm okay with going straight to the person to educate the patients too. And that's another part of what I do is educate people about healthcare advocacy and the need to stay involved in your healthcare, to ask those questions. And if you don't understand, to make sure that you are able to communicate assertively with your provider, not in a rude way, but you have to get the information you need out of your visit. You have a very limited time to be there Mm -hmm. and you need to prepare for that visit ahead of time. You can't just walk in and, and expect it to go well. <laughs> you know, you won't remember what you needed to ask. 
Yeah, that is a really good point. I hear a lot more and I'm in right now I'm getting my master's degree in public health. So I just I just recently started, but I'm I'm learning a lot more and, and getting a different level of understanding on US healthcare in general. And I'm not from here, I'm I'm from Ukraine original and I've been in the country for many years now, but I just haven't had much of experience and until I started working in healthcare. So it's really interesting to get the context, but I'm hearing, I'm hearing a lot more about the patient advocacy uh, push and the, the importance of it and, and encouraging patients to, as you said, take more of an active role in, in their healthcare. Uh, so that's, that's definitely very interesting and ne much needed, as you said. I'm curious too. Yeah, we have traditionally uh -huh. had a system that's very paternalistic where, where we do things to people and we don't involve them in the care. Mm -hmm. Yeah, kind of doctor having that authority. Trust me, I'm a doctor. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right, right, right. And that's changing with the new generation of physicians. It is changing. And the culture is, is kind of demanding that, and, and healthcare plans are demanding that. Kaiser Permanente is very focused on prevention. They have the plant-based uh, resource that they encourage their patients to use. Mm -hmm. Keeping people healthy, employers, you know, for keeping people healthy, it's a win-win for employers and for employees. It definitely is, but I'm curious, and again, with me getting a little bit more uh, behind the scenes in the healthcare, I'm, I'm curious to hear your opinions on what do you, what do you see as sustainable payment models, right? Because it's, it's, it's easy to measure how many people you operate on, but how do you measure how many diseases or how many heart attacks do you prevent? And then beyond measuring that, how do you, how do you get paid for that? Yeah, well, if I had the answer to that, Tina, I could have retired a long time ago. <laughs> I mean, the system is upside down. It's not it's not healthcare, it's it's treatment. It's treatment and procedures and that's what is that's what physicians are reimbursed for and of course that's what they work for. Uh until we can get a prevention model and I mean, I I'm not an attorney, I'm not a physician, but my opinion is that we need universal health care in this country. It's not right for a country that is as wealthy as this country for people to not have access to care. It hurts me to, to see that. And we know it's true. And we know that people are using the emergency room as their primary care. Mm -hmm. That model is not sustainable. And, it, and it's, it's not good for people. And I think for so many reasons, people have not been involved in their health care. Some people have, people who are better educated and have a higher socioeconomic status have been more inclined to be involved in their health care, not always, but, but they have the ability to make that choice. And not everybody has what they need to make the choices to be involved in their health care. There's a lot that needs to, to be given to people to get them up to an, a place of equity where they are receiving the services they need, not the same services because that's equality, but equity, giving people the services that they need, meeting them where they are and helping them, giving them the opportunity to be as healthy as they can possibly be. Everyone having the same opportunity for that. Yeah. And no, it's I a challenge. Hear you. I hear you for sure. 
Um, and then another thing that also comes to mind is, uh, as I'm, I live in Atlanta, as I'm, as I'm learning more about the food deserts here and it's how striking it is mm. for me to know yeah. that, you know, there it's so, it's so divided here in terms of some neighborhoods are being so wealthy. And then mm-hmm. you know, a few blocks down, you would have the a food yeah. desert where people don't have the means and, and the ability to get to the grocery store that has produce. And then they, they get the, the, the snap program uh, credits that they're able to utilize for the things that are only in their nearest grocery store. And the things that are available there are, I don't know, Twinkies and potato chips and how do you yeah, expect- packaged and processed foods? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And, and how do you expect to make any kind of healthy choices based on that when, when we're basically subsidizing the foods that are harming people and then subsidizing or, or not even providing them access to the healthcare that they need as a consequence of having a bad health after eating those foods? Yeah, it's a it's a multi-pronged problem. There's no question about it. Uh and and your zip code determines your life expectancy and your quality of life. And the research clearly shows that. We just had an equity report released here and the disparities in the zip codes, I mean, we're talking a couple of decades in some cases wow. just depending on your zip code. That is sobering. It's, it's, it makes you angry and sad all at the same time. Okay. Well, back to the bright side. Last week, yeah. <laughs> last week <laughs> I, went to, I went to the, um, a local conference. Uh, it, it was a pretty small gathering. There's a local group uh, that they have in Atlanta. I think it's young leaders and world, what is it called? World uh, World Affairs Council, uh, but they basically work with local leaders, and they have a young leaders chapter, and they bring together uh, panels to discuss different topics uh, and issues. And the last, the one I went to last week, I just found out about it by by chance. But was they had um, a few different people, and it was specifically about uh, food scarcity and food waste in, in the world. I mean. Yet food, food scarcity in the world of food waste. And they had several different representatives of uh, local organizations. They had uh, the community, uh, the local Atlanta Community Food Bank, bank um, uh, CEO. They had somebody uh, who is a local chef and plant-based educator and nutritionist. Um, they had somebody else who is uh, a lead of the organization that uh, helps deal with hunger across the world. And it was really interesting to hear about the different I mean, they obviously they have their hands full with all the issues that we recently discussed. But at the same time, there, the, I I got a lot of hope from that because it, it sounded like they they are working on many many different projects where they are able to use and leverage the technology that exists today and create platforms in order to marry and, and build the bridge between the the food that is being quote unquote wasted or basically food that's visually is unappealing for some reason, like a weird looking tomato that is perfectly fine right. and tasty is just not up to par with, you know, the standards of beauty for a tomato uh, with uh, and then leveraging the logistics and the technology to bring that tomato to 
a, a family in need in the food desert that don't, doesn't have access to them. So there, it's just, it, at least I, I did have a lot of hope coming out from that gathering because it does seem like people are aware of the issues and there is definitely a lot of interest from uh, uh, groups and uh, um, young entrepreneurs and just the nonprofit organizations to help bridge that gap. And yes, there's still a lot of work to be done, but at least it, it's being brought to the awareness. The flashlight is being <laughs> pointed yeah. towards that issue. So I have hope that through conversations like this and through the conversations like the one that I was a part of last week, that hopefully we'll be able to chip at that stone piece by piece. And, and I think there are a lot of people working to make conditions better. And that is so encouraging. And it really makes you, it just warms your heart to see people for no other reason that, that they want to help to right. try to make things better for people less fortunate. Yeah. And even just looking at you, I mean, how hard you're working and how passionate you are about the work that you do. And I'm sure you're, you know, you're not getting paid extra $5,000 for spending that hour and a half talking about the menu for your heart annual luncheon or just many other things that you do. And then the passion, the energy that you brought when you came to the conference, I mean, it, it just shines through your, through your whole being. So it's through people like mm. you that we, we get to forward and kind of spread the, um, the ripples of kindness through the world. Thank you. Yeah. Well, uh, I have a, a final question that I want to ask, but before that, is there anything else that you want to share? Any, um, any parting words of wisdom you wanted to uh, talk to the listeners about? Maybe some suggestions or tips on how to start today or the, the little changes that they can make today in order to start on this path? I, I think just just start. Just start looking at, at information, read, watch a video, listen to a podcast. And I just wanted to share that before I started this lifestyle, I really didn't like to cook very much. It just bored me and I wasn't very good at it. And I'm not a great cook, but I have really found my way around the kitchen. And I, I love this way of eating because there is always something in my cupboard for dinner that won't take me long to prepare. I always have beans. I always have rice. I always have spices. I have canned tomatoes. There's always something to eat that's easy to prepare and good for me. And, you know, relatively inexpensive. And the cleanup is a breeze because there's no grease. Right. So, and that's, that's what I love. And I love to see the really interesting things that people do with food, like making meringue out of the liquid from chickpeas. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> yes, I saw that. I still haven't tried it. I need to, but I saw the video. It's, it's great. It's great. I, it's just so much fun to me. It really has, has brought joy to my life in a lot of ways. No, that's such a good point. I cannot believe we haven't really talked about like the actual food food. Can you tell me like a few <laughs> of your favorite staples? I don't know, maybe like a favorite breakfast or a favorite lunch or just a few things that stand out to you, their quick go-tos or favorite go-tos for you? Well, I can tell you here at, at one of the things that they prepare for us for lunch, and, and we have a, a three-week rotating menu. So this is the Monday of week two. It's a TTLA sandwich that Whole Foods has this TTLA sandwich, the tempeh tomato lettuce and avocado. Oh this God. one that is prepared here is better than Whole Foods. 
<laughs> it's so delicious and so yummy and filling. And it's just, you feel good after you eat it, but it's so tasty also. And, you know, as far as when I'm at home, it just depends on what kind of mood I'm in. I do most of my cooking on the weekends and sometimes I'll get recipes that are a little more complicated than others. But generally I like pretty easy recipes where I can just kind of knock out several things at one time. I love kale cooked raw any way I can get it cooked in brownies or, you know, however, however you can camouflage it. I just love kale and a baked potato for dinner with some vegan cheese sauce that I make. It's a recipe. I didn't create it, but it's potatoes, carrots, onions, some nutritional yeast, and some spices and cashews or beans. So delicious. With some oh, okay, I'm going to need the recipe. Feeling, you know, yeah, just easy, easy. Oh, that's great. Yes, I'm going to need to that recipe, please, because I was just looking for some kind of cheesy sauce recipe I can put in stuff. Oh, well, I, you just need to look at, uh, there's a, a site that I love. So I didn't even mention the Food for Life cooking classes that we do. Oh, yes. We don't do the classes. We work with a Food for Life chef who comes. We just have space and she does these classes and we've had great success with these. Love doing these classes with her. Her name is Terry Edwards and she has a blog called eatplantbase.com. It's eatplant-based.com and that's where the cheese sauce recipe is from. She has sweet potato muffins on there that are oil-free, absolutely delicious. Even my my grown sons who don't like to eat this way love those so I that's a win she's got some pancakes on there I just amazing easy delicious recipes and again that that, that easy cleanup you can't get any better than that oh great I'm looking at the website right now I'll make sure to include the link in the show notes so people can look oh, at good. it too but yes I'm sold <laughs> oh look they have chocolate yeah that cheese sauce is absolutely delicious you will love it and you can also make it with sweet potatoes and if you don't want to make it with white potatoes if you need a little lower glycemic mm-hmm. you can make it with a sweet potato also delicious oh that's perfect okay i know what what i'm making next um, <laughs> okay well sounds great well uh, thank you so much for your time uh, the, i usually like to end uh, with a question that kind of uh, is the stands from the name of my podcast follow your kind and explore what kindness means to other people and I'm sure from the work that you do and from the way that you speak uh, the listeners were already able to get the fact that you are a kind person and you act through kindness every day but I'm just curious to hear how do you define kindness for yourself I think kindness is is being open to the possibility of human connection and really trying to see where somebody is coming from and and having a desire to help make the world a better place. Oh, I love that. That is going to be a quote. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for your time today, Lori. I really appreciate you. Um, Thank you, Tina. I really enjoyed talking with you. For more information, you can go to followyourkind.com or follow me on Instagram at kindchristina. Please also subscribe to the show and give me a good review. Thanks for stopping by.